live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Welcome back into Sports Bash. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on a Thursday. Mike will be back tomorrow here on 97.3 ESPN. As always, Hunter Brody along with me here in the Matt Black Kia Studios. Final hour of the show. Of course, the text board is open, 609-403-0973. Still to come, we'll be talking with Dr. Kevin McHale. Injury report. Talk about Lane Johnson's ankle, Jason Peters' toe, and more. Hey, Broads, just because there's no uh, Thursday Night Football doesn't mean there's opportunity people can't have with DraftKings. That is correct. There's a lot of college basketball. You have college football. You do have the NFL on Sunday, of course. I mean, there's so much action every single day. And you can go to DraftKings Sportsbook app. You can get their app on the App Store. And you will receive a deposit bonus up to $1,000 when you sign up using promo code 973. So once again, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 973 when you sign up for a chance to earn $1,000. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So, of course, a lot of stuff been going on today throughout the show. We've been talking a lot about the Eagles, a lot about the Sixers. Been reading your text at 609-403-0973. And I've noticed, Broads, one of the things that sticks out to me is that I'm finding more and more people are getting so frustrated with the Eagles. They're just saying, just bring on Sixers season. And I feel like in a normal year, I would feel that way. But because it's 2020 and everything has gone crazy this year, you know, maybe I'm weird, but I just kind of feel like I'm just taking things as they come. Like, I'm not getting too bent out of shape about the Eagles, no matter how frustrated and angry I am about Wentz and his ego and Peterson and his bizarro answers. I'm just at the point, man, where I'm looking at the Eagles and I'm just wondering about this team. Hey, listen, you know what? It is what it is. We're just trying to get through the year and the Sixers... I'm not getting too high on them because I've been down this road before. I feel you might be the outlier, really. I I understand that we're going through this crazy pandemic and the world is wild. So you're kind of just appreciating sports for what it is. And you're acknowledging, hey, we could have no sports. So it seems like you're going with that mentality where uh, I'm excited that we at least have this in our lives during such a, a really odd time that we will never experience once again, hopefully. So I do get it from that perspective, but this is such a low. It would be different if the Eagles had five wins or, you know, they were just an underwhelming team. But this is almost rock bottom type where I I think it intensifies the feeling of hatred towards this team. I think I would be a little bit more in the hatred category if I wasn't so turned off by some of the reactions by some of the fans because when you go on social media and you run into people, I mean, you can't really run into people out and out about right now because of social distancing. But when you do talk to people, I feel like I'm running into people who they're just so extreme in their hate. For example, Howie Roseman. And it's like, so you're not blaming Doug or Carson at all for anything. And it's just like, a, it's like dismissive. It's like people don't actually want to fix the problem in Philadelphia they just want to scream and yell that this team stinks, rebuild it, blow it up, let's go get a draft pick. And I feel like that's so irrational because it's like, 
football, you can turn it around so quickly. Teams go from last to first every single year. So it's like, okay, you had a bad year. It doesn't mean that Doug Peterson is or Callie Roseman are the worst at their jobs ever. My problem is those people say to blow it up every single year. So when there is a scenario where, hey, maybe starting fresh makes a little bit of sense, or at least you are more willing to have the conversation more than you've ever had before, the problem is those people say it every year where you can't take them seriously. There are times within an organization where, hey, starting fresh, hitting the reset button, refreshing a bit is totally okay and acceptable. The problem is those people that piss you off so much and, and the ones that are getting to you, they scream it even when the team goes 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six and they lose in the first round. And I think that's where it bothers you the most. Because, look, there are times where it is rational to maybe decide on clearing house because you need a new identity. And I'm not saying it's right at this very instance, but there are times because there are times where you just need to reset. Oh, but you can't scream it every year. No, you can't scream it every year, and I just don't know if this is the year because, at least for me, I would give Doug one more year because See? I feel like it's you don't win a Super Bowl by accident, right? You don't just happen to – this isn't the NHL where you get a hot goaltender and they carry you to the Stanley Cup. Football is one of the hardest sports to win in in general, and then you go and win multiple games. You get to the Super Bowl – and you win the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. How many coaches can say they won against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Guess what? There's only one other. That's Tom Coughlin. You're in elite, elite company. So just to dismiss Doug out of hand and say, fire him, he sucks. I just don't, I'm not on board with that because of the fact that, to me, I believe and until someone proves me otherwise, convinces me otherwise, and you could do so at 609-403-0973 today, I believe it's harder to find a winning head coach in the NFL than it is to find a quarterback you can win with. Say that last statement one more time. I believe it's harder to win. It's, it's hard to find a, an NFL winning head coach than it is to find a quarterback you can win with. That's really interesting. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. And, uh, and I just think maybe that's because there's so many damn coaches out there in that college world and who's coaching in the NFL who isn't a head coach now who's working their way up the ranks. With the quarterbacks, I feel your options are more limited each year than it is with the coach, if that makes sense. So I'm not downplaying how hard it is to find a coach. I just think because there's so many more coaches in the world than there are quarterbacks that might be able to succeed at this level, maybe it's easier to find the coach. Does that make sense to you? See, I, the pool I, is bigger to grab from, if you will, from the coaching standpoint than the pool of the quarterbacks that would have a serious chance of making a legitimate impact on a winning team. But see, just because there's plenty of fish in the sea doesn't mean that all those fish are worth having. And I feel That's like, fair. and I feel like, when it comes to coaching in football, to me, the coach matters. Football is one of those sports where the coach really matters. He sets the culture. He sets the environment. Players either play or they don't play for a coach. Those players quit on Chip Kelly. 
They're not quitting on Doug. They're still going out there and playing hard for Doug in this miserable season. And I got to give Doug credit for that. I can't say the same thing about a quarterback when I'm seeing every year dudes getting... Every year it's like two or three quarterbacks now are functional starting quarterbacks. Jared Goff may not be an elite quarterback, but guess what? You got to the Super Bowl with him. You got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. You got to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. But guess what? I'm not winning a Super Bowl with all of those head coaches. Because guess what? Dan Quinn is fired. Kyle Shanahan has blown two leads in two Super Bowls. Doug actually won the game. Yeah, that's fair. I, I still see it a little bit differently than you do. I, I, If you moved on from Doug Peterson, would I feel confident that they can find a coach that can win you football games and put you in a good – because all you can ask for at the end of the day is put me in a good position to succeed as a head coach. Are you going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. Andy Reid put you in the best position possible for the most part every year he was here, and that's all I can ask for out of a head coach. So if you go into an offseason thinking – can I find a head coach that will put me in good positions to succeed? I think you can find that. Now, can you make an argument you can do the same with the quarterback? Yeah, but the problem is you're tied to this quarterback right now. And when we look at context with this team specifically, you really can't get rid of this Carson Wentz contract. So the only way to go about it would be if, if Jalen Hurts can't step in and be your guy is probably the head coach, which I'm not screaming for this upcoming year. I am willing to give Doug and Carson one more season. But I do wonder if, because the Super Bowl happened, are they all in different mental states now and it's a lost cause? As if these guys are all good at their jobs, but maybe they need a new reality, a new spot, and a new place to kind of start over again. Maybe. And I'm, I would never deny that as a possibility, but my first instinct is I think part of the problem is – has been, and will continue to be the quarterback coach. I am not a believer in Press Taylor. I do not understand why this guy was held over from the Chip Kelly era. He was not hired by Doug Peterson. Nobody knew who on earth this guy was before he kept elevating up the coaching staff because people kept leaving the organization for other jobs. This guy is Carson Wentz's friend. He's not coaching him up properly and I think he's telling Carson one thing in his ear and the other coaches are telling him something else and Wentz is siding with his friend because he's the quarterback coach and passing game coordinator I want to know what this team would look like if you had a different quarterback coach in there who coached Wentz hard like Filippo did I think that's where we all need to start with okay it, it it is a little crazy though because and, and I always relate this to Brett Brown and Ben Simmons because there was a loud either minority or it was just a majority that felt Brett Brown wasn't ever informing Ben Simmons to shoot. And he never told him ever. Like, never. There were people who truly believed that Brett Brown never uttered the words to Ben Simmons, hey, you know, you should shoot the basketball, which blows my mind, right? Obviously, there was a discussion about shooting at some point throughout their tenure together in Philadelphia. Well, when you watch this tape and when you watch this team play and when you watch all of these issues with Carson Wentz, it's hard for me to think, and I can't believe I'm defending the coaching staff here, but it's hard for me to think that Press Taylor, Doug Peterson, haven't told this kid, you can't be doing this, you know? I don't know. I, I can't confirm or deny that because 
I have trouble believing that you have 200 coaches here and Wentz is just not going to listen to any of them. Like, That's also true. That's also a very good point. Like, I feel like someone has to be giving him, like, the second opinion, right? You know, the, the old, hey, I don't like what the first doctor told me. I'm going to go with the second doctor to get my second opinion. There's somebody on this coaching staff that has to be placating Wentz. That's telling him, don't listen to the other guys, listen to me, and Wentz is writing him. Because otherwise, if uh, the only other explanation I have, which is the one I had for the first six weeks of the year, is that Wentz's ego is so big, and he thinks he knows better than everybody else, that he's going out there, doing whatever he wants, and if that's the case, then I need him traded, cut, and you just eat the money. Because I cannot have an egotistical megalomaniac out there as quarterback staring down receivers and throwing interceptions because he wants to make a big play, right? No, it's either to me got to be there's a coach in the organization that's giving Wentz bad information and telling him not to listen to the right coaching, or Wentz is an ego freak. I think there is something to be said about his ego. And look, I, I don't even think it's a bad thing to have an ego as a quarterback, as an NFL player, as a head coach. You want that. That's almost what builds your character on the field, and it shows who you are as a player. So at times, I almost think that there's value in having a certain ego. Brandon Graham has ego. You hear him yapping all game long. And I think that that's a good thing. Like, I, I do think it brings out personality as a player. Tom Brady has ego. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But do you think knowing his, like, how he is religiously and how open he is to helping other people and, and he's like this community guy, you would think that even if he has ego, that him being so open in other areas of his life, helping out, he would sacrifice some things in his game to help out the team, to maybe you take a step back in this area in your performance, in your game, because it helps your team here. I, I just feel that based off of his personality off the field, that that would also translate to how he is as a teammate. But maybe I'm wrong. Actions speak louder than words. You can say all the things you want, but if you're going on the field and doing the same thing wrong each and every week, that tells me he doesn't want to listen to criticism by somebody somewhere. Because... You can't be as smart as he is. Remember we were told how smart he was coming out of college, how high high football IQ he is. You can't from be going from that to all of a sudden being an idiot on the football field. So somewhere in between, he's letting his ego get in the way of winning football games. Another big conversation with him, too, is the mechanics, right? The mechanics are off and his feet, his footwork is bad. But hasn't it always been bad and he's been successful doing it? So I don't know really how to take that information in because over the last handful of years, we have talked about a lot of flaws with his mechanics, but the team was never this way. So how do you look at that? Because with me, I don't know how to really grasp it. Well, I would say if you should do what I did and I've seen other people do, which is put film of Wentz from 2017 next to now. And it's like two different quarterbacks. You know, you go back to 2017, his mechanics were way better. His footwork was way more balanced and efficient. And he didn't have that wide stance when he's throwing. He wasn't throwing from this, I don't even know if it's three-quarters sometimes. He throws from this bizarre angle that's not even like a proper football throw at times. I think if you saw him in 2017 and lined it up now, it's like two different quarterbacks. 
And the fact that he doesn't accept when somebody's telling him that is a huge problem to me, bros. Because at some point, what if Doug Peterson walked in with a perfect game plan and then once get executed? That's a problem to me. Oh, no doubt about it. It should be a problem to everybody. It should be a problem to the franchise, the organization, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie as well, if that's the case. And I do think that there are play calls. As much as I get on Doug all the time, there are times where the play would work, but Carson Wentz misses the play. Now, there's also times where Doug Peterson loses his mind. He has a bad play call. He, you know, he's, he's not putting his quarterback in the best position possible. So it goes both ways. But I do think that there are times where the play, if it if it was executed perfectly, would be a nice gain and Carson Wentz just fails. But that's when it goes back to are people showing him 2017 versus now and saying, Carson, do you see the difference? Or are they just allowing him to continue to go do it? And that's where we need to find the disconnect. And maybe it is Press Taylor. We know that they're friends. And we know how hard Filippo was on him. So could it be as simple as getting a new quarterback coach? I would love for it to be the answer because that seems to be an easier fix than some of the other options we're coming up with in our heads. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN being brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you. Visit them online at gmslaw.com. Let's hit the text board, 609-403-0973 on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board, 609-403-0973. Tom from the Villas chimes in and says, I don't want the Eagles to blow it up. I just want them to learn how to develop young talent better. I don't think any of these rookie wide receivers in the league would succeed here like they are on their respective teams. We just can't seem to develop that talent. Now, that's an interesting point because... That's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. If you had DK Metcalf here, if you had Justin Jefferson here, I can't promise you that those guys are going to be productive here. Now, I don't know, is is that the wide receiver coach? Is that U.S. Adam Kaplan an hour ago, uh, Broads, about you know coaching up the coaches by Doug Peterson? You know, Is it possible that Doug is so focused on the game plan and the play calling that he's neglecting his duties as the CEO CEO of the football team? Is he neglecting maybe his job at being the overseer of the football team? Because, you know, every year when I watch Hard Knocks, and I've never seen Doug Peterson on Hard Knocks, so I can't speak to him, but when I've watched Sean McVay, Anthony Lynn, John Gruden, I've watched Bruce Arians, I've watched these other coaches. You know what I see? Them going into the quarterback meeting, the wide receiver meeting, the defensive meeting, talking with other coaches. Even Hugh Jackson was involved with the Browns where he got fired for being an idiot. But still, these coaches, they act like executives of the team. And I sometimes wonder, you ask the great question, is Doug not involved enough in the other aspects of the team? I think the answer is he's not where he needs to be when it comes to that. And that's why I think it's another good reason to pull the plug on play calling because, uh, look, I don't know if Deuce Staley or Rich Gangarello or Morningweg, anyone who pops into play calling is going to change much, right? That's reality. I don't expect a major change from scoring points or whatever the case may be. But what I do know is Doug Peterson has mentioned there's more problems than just the quarterback and the head coach with this team. 
There's tackling. There's special teams when it comes to punt return. There's this, there's that. And he listed them. This was a couple press conferences ago. Well, that falls on you, Doug. So I do think that being so dialed into the game plan of the play calling and what goes into that every week is taking away from other parts of this team outside of just game day play calling where it will benefit this team in other areas. Now, the question is, is Doug Peterson, and this isn't a shot at him, I'm, I'm legitimately just asking the question because I think it's fair, is Doug Peterson smart enough to coach up? Is he a good teacher when it comes to teaching the wide receivers coach, this coach, the, the passing game coordinator, run game coordinator? Does he have the proper knowledge to teach them the right way? And, and I'm not taking a shot at him. I think it's fair to legitimately ask that question. I think the answer, though, is yes, because okay. of his experience in the league. You're talking about a guy with over 20 years combined experience in the NFL between being a player and a coach. This is a guy who coached under Don Shula, played, played under Don Shula and Mike Holmgren. He was the quarterback behind Dan Marino and Brett Favre. He has coached under Andy Reid. I feel like some of that rubs off on you. And I feel like Doug is more knowledgeable about the game of football than some people give him credit for. Just because he's a sloppy communicator and he's not a fluent linguist at the, at the uh, media podium doesn't mean that he can't teach the game of football. And I feel like Doug can coach these guys up. I just don't think he has been coaching them up. I think that's where the rub is. And with the press conferences, though, because the way I see it is, you're right, some people are just bad at public speaking. Some people are really good in one area, and then they're a little weaker in others when it comes to certain aspects of life. And with Doug, there's no denying that when it comes to press conferences, that is one of his weakest spots. But I do think it somewhat defines what I've seen this this year on the field when it comes to thinking on your toes. Some of these responses have been horrendous when you're asked about your quarterback over and over and over again and you are constantly leaving the door wide open and and I think he's doing it I don't think he's doing it on purpose it would be different if I thought he was doing it on purpose I don't think he's properly understanding what he's doing so that shows me maybe he's not the best thinker on his feet and I relate that to when Josh Sweat got that big sack at the end of that half and he wasn't calling timeout. And then after the game, he had no clue what Jeff McClain was even asking him. This was against the Browns. That's where I connect the poor press conferences and, and the lacking of thinking on his feet to what I see in the game sometimes. And, and I think that there is a correlation between the two. I also have to wonder, and I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in particular, but I also know that Doug is a guy who takes input, right? He's very well known for being a collaborator, digging input. And I'm not accusing anybody in particular, but I'm just putting it out there in the universe for thought. Is Doug getting the right information? Like, when he goes to these press conferences, is the PR department properly preparing him? Or is he listening to the PR department when he, before he goes out to these meetings? When he's on the sideline and somebody's in his ear like Deuce Staley or Scangarello or Morningweg or whoever, and they give him a suggestion, is Doug getting the best advice or is Doug ignoring people? And I don't have an answer to those questions because I feel like those will be the questions that answer a lot of the things you're asking. So with the PR team, I don't think he's getting poor preparation from the PR team. Uh, I mean, come on. You you have a quarterback 
dilemma. You're going to be asked about the quarterback dilemma. So I don't know if I really like the whole PR side of things with your statement, but I do think there's a lot of value in what you said about what type of information is he getting from these coaches. And you tie this together with Jeffrey Lurie coming out a day after Doug Peterson said, yeah, Mike Groh will be here and saying, hold on a second, we're firing him and we're bringing in all these new coaches. If Jeffrey Lurie hires these coaches or Howie Roseman and Lurie, whoever it was, hires these coaches for the head coach and Doug's sitting there going, I don't want any of this information. This isn't, no, no, no. This isn't what should happen. This isn't how it should occur. I think there's more value in maybe questioning what type of advice he's getting from guys that he was possibly handed more so than the PR department. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, coming up, we got the injury report. Dr. Kevin McHale coming up to discuss more about some of the injuries. Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, and more. I want to remind you, the Sports Bash is being brought to you by Jersey's fastest way to win. That's the New Jersey Lottery. With fast-rolling jackpot grows until it's won. Play fast for your chance to win the Fast Play Progressive with the New Jersey Lottery because anything can happen in Jersey. We'll get more of your text messages before we get out of here at the end of the show. 609-403-0973. Also, five questions still to come as well. 609-403-0973 to get on the conversation here on the Sports Bash, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill alongside Hunter Birdie live in the Matt Black Kia Studios on 97.3 ESPN-FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Josh Hennig here filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We'll continue our Eagles conversation myself and Hunter Birdie coming up in just a bit. But of course, 5.30s on... 30 Thursday, 5.30 means it's time for the injury report with Dr. Kevin McHale being brought to you by Cape Regional Health System with Penn Orthopedics, Cape Regional Health System, the best of both worlds for a healthier life. For an appointment call, 609-463-CAPE or visit them online at caperegional.com slash orthopedics. Dr. McHale joins us now to get more in some of these injuries. Dr. McHale, Hope you had a good Thanksgiving holiday and weekend. It was a great Thanksgiving, a little quieter than always, I'm sure, for a lot of the listeners as well. But uh, it was nice, a healthy family. I can't really ask for more. Well, some of these guys we got to talk about today are not healthy. And I, I got to start with this Lane Johnson thing. Doc, I've never heard of a collapsed ankle. Now, Lane's done for the year. His surgery is going to keep him out the rest of the year into the offseason. Now, he had that surgery earlier when you talked with Mike about the tightrope ankle surgery. So how do we go from having a tightrope ankle surgery in August to what Lane is calling a collapsed ankle in November and December? All right. Well, well the first thing is that one thing you have, a, when you talk about tightrope surgery and high ankle sprains, you have doctors talking about it. When you have an offensive lineman explaining why their ankle hurts, it may, it may be a collapsed ankle. It's not a a term I, I throw around in my office very much. Okay, so that's part of the problem. But the, the real the real issue is, you know, with Lean Johnson, we see a perfect example of a guy who's incredibly tough, who's battled through a ton of injuries, you know, particularly with his ankle dating back to 2018. And we see that even though these guys are, you know, incredible athletes, they're not superhuman, you know. He had a surgery, as we talked about, that tightrope procedure at the very end of August. Um, and that, for the listeners that don't know the tightrope, 
it's a procedure where when people have a high ankle sprain, when these athletes uh, sprain their ankle in this way, they injure the ligaments that connect the two lower leg bones, the tibia and the fibula. And one way to stabilize that for the people that don't heal well without not with non-operative management is to drill a little hole across these two bones and put this thing, it's a special kind of implant called a tightrope. It's like a rope that goes across those two bones and stabilizes it with these little buttons on the sides that you can tighten down. And what that does is it keeps the bones close enough together to allow the ligaments to heal. Now, again, it's really, even though they stay in there forever, it's that temporary stabilization while the body heals that's really important. You still need the ligaments to heal. Now, we saw him beat that timeline, right? He was back to play only a few weeks after that surgery. Uh, many times it's at least four to six weeks, if not much longer after this procedure re- return to play. But he was back out in the field for the Eagles. Obviously, they needed him in that, for that offensive line. The problem is when you re-aggravate that, there's a couple of issues. You know, we heard reports that he had a stress fracture at that site. What can happen is when you drill a hole in the bone, even though it's a small bone, it's more vulnerable to injury. So when you got a guy, Lane Johnson's size, you know, playing on that, plus other players falling on that leg, it's a, an area where it can be injured. And also, when you have a, someone fall on your leg or you're getting forced out to the side and re-aggravate it, you can re-injure those ligaments that connect those two lower leg bones. Also, there's reports that he may need a deltoid ligament repair, which is the ligament on the inside of the ankle as well that can be injured during a high ankle sprain. So he has a lot going on that ankle. It sounds like he just rushed back a little too soon. That procedure um, didn't hold up, didn't provide him that stabilization that he needed to play through because he just was a little back a little bit too early. Now hopefully he's going to get the right procedure. It's going to require a much more lengthy time off to let this all heal for him. But hopefully when he's back out in the field, he's at full strength and this angle can be behind him. Doc, just to follow up on that, you mentioned how tough he is and how, how the kind of person he is. How do you handle a, a, a patient who may be a little bit too tough for their own good? Someone who maybe you know is not being fully verbal and explaining to you their situation. They're just trying to tough through it. How do you balance that between letting the patient have the freedom to make their own decisions and saying, Listen, I know you're a tough guy, but you got to give me a little more information so I can help you so this doesn't get worse. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I hear a lot of questions. Sometimes they'll say, you know, are the coaches trying to push these guys back on the field too soon? You know, was it was it the coaches that are uh, pushing? And it's really these athletes. You know, they have an incredibly high competitive edge. You know, that's why they got to the level they are. And they want to be back out on the field no matter what. And they already push themselves through all kinds of pain to get through an NFL season. And they're completely willing to pay th- play through pain. And it is uh, a lot on the doctor's um, uh, side as far as what their role is to try to hold them back when necessary. And there's always that gray area. And we see players, you know, beat the quote-unquote timeline all the time where you, you make a calculated rest. You say, okay, do we think there's enough healing that when he's back out on the field, it's healed enough that it won't get re-injured and uh, it won't get re-aggravated where he ends up missing time later on. And unfortunately, a lot of times, these guys do take that gamble and do take that chance, and they do have a setback. Um, we see it with guys that go out, they play for a little while, they may re-aggravate it, they miss a couple more games, and they're back out on the field. So it's very, very difficult to hold these guys back when they want to be on the field. Um, you have to try to do your best and make an informed decision with everyone involved, the players, the, the players' coaches, the training staff, that we know what the risks are, and if you're going to make that decision to get back on the field, you understand that it's not without risk. And if we do have a setback, we're going to have to address that when it comes. Dr. Kevin McHale, injury report here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN being brought to you by Cape Regional Health Systems with Penn Orthopedics. Doc, let's move on to another offensive lineman, Jason Peters. 
This is a very interesting situation. So it came out that he has a broken toe on his left foot. And that was a reason why they moved him from left tackle, where you need your left foot as your your pivot and plant foot, to right guard. But a couple days before the story came out that he was dealing with turf toe. Those are two very different injuries. So explain to folks how a broken toe can impact a player's ability to pivot and leverage. So actually, it could be that these injuries are related. You know, um, first of all, with turf toe, it is, even though it sounds like a silly name and it sounds like it shouldn't hurt all that much, it, it does hurt a lot. Uh, what turf toe is, is when a player hyperextends their big toe, it causes an injury to the ligaments that stabilize the joint where the toe meets the foot. We call that the first MTP joint, okay? It's where that big toe meets the foot. And when it gets hyperextended, typically the players like foot's um, kind of planted on the ground, their forefoot's on the ground, somebody falls on their heel, and it forces that toe all the way stretched in a really high-stress position, and you can tear those ligaments. And every single time that player takes a step to run or push off, it re-stretches that area that's injured, and it hurts. So, you know, he missed a few weeks earlier this season with this injury. They allowed it to heal. Again, they got him back out there hoping that it wouldn't get re-aggravated, and it does seem like he has a setback. Sometimes with that force, when your foot, your foot is completely or that toe is completely hyperextended, you can also injure the bone, either the, the bone in the toe or the other bones that are right adjacent to that joint, and it can cause a fracture. As you can imagine, if that toe is broken, it's going to hurt a whole lot to play through a broken toe. Um, every time he takes a step forward to plan, it's going to bother him. And that's why there's a lot of teamwork with the, the athletic training staff, the docs, and the, and the coaching staff to figure out if you're going to try to play through this injury, what are we going to do to try to help this guy play? Um, one thing you can do is put special kind of inserts into the shoe to try to make sure that toe doesn't hyperextend to get re-aggravated. And then the, in this case, they made a um, positional change to try to limit the amount that he's going to be stepping on that foot and planting. Clearly, you know, a guy his size, he's still going to be putting force across that toe. There's no question that this thing is going to hurt him and kind of inhibit his ability to play at his usual full level. But this guy's an incredibly tough guy, and he's going to do whatever he can to help the team the best way he can. And just a quick follow-up is, you know, what kind of broken toe would require surgery? How many of those situations does it heal on its own? How many situations does it require surgery? Well, a lot of times the toe fractures do heal fine on their own. Um, sometimes it's based, based on how much displacement of the fracture fragments. If the toe is uh, very crooked, you can imagine if it heals in a crooked position, uh, it can be very difficult to play sports or even just live a regular life and wear a regular shoe if it's, it's pointing off to the side, right? So it's based on the, the uh, amount of displacement of the fracture. But it's, in his case, it very well may, uh, very well may be the fact that his turf toe injury is so severe, that ligamentous injury to the, the capsule is so severe that they need to repair that in the offseason. And if that's the case, that's something that if he's not able to play through the pain throughout the rest of the season, we've seen players in the past, A.J. Green's a perfect example, tried to play through a turf toe injury and eventually finally just decided to get it fixed in the season and he couldn't play the rest of the season even though he tried to battle through it. So that is not an unlikely scenario if he's not able to play through the pain while this is kind of trying to heal on its own. Dr. Kevin McHale, one more injury question for you. Former Eagles quarterback, Nick Foles now playing with the Bears. He's going to miss his second straight start with what they're calling a hip and glute injury. Now, it was interesting because we all saw Monday football when he fell on his hip and he bounced the way he did. It was a bit scary the way he hit the ground. But according to reports, it's nothing was fractured. Nothing was permanently like hard damaged or anything. But Nick Foles' history has always been the upper body. This is the first time he's had a legitimate lower body injury. And hip and glute, that's... That's a very complicated area of the body, is it not? 
Yeah, you know, it's actually really important. So your glute, obviously, we know is the buttocks muscle. Um, you know, my potty training two-year-old is, uh, loves to talk about butts, so she probably really enjoyed this segment of the, the radio show here. But in general, it's an incredibly important core muscle stabilizer, and it's really important to the throwing motion and running and everything the elite athletes have to do. So when you have a real bad contusion or strain, you can have bleeding into that musculature there, and all that swelling and bleeding can lead to a lot of pain when you're using that muscle, and that muscle's firing, whether that's running or that's planning to throw, um, and it can be uh, really inhibit their ability to perform. You know, uh, glute injuries are much less common than hamstring strains. Uh, we see hamstring strains much more commonly, but it's very similar. You know, you need a period of rest and ice and stretching it out to make sure as it heals it doesn't get real stiff and then a gradual return to play. Now, in his case, depending on the severity, if it's a fairly mild injury, it may only be missing a game or two, and, and it sounds like he's back to practice already. Um, but unfortunately for the Bears and their overall quarterback play, sometimes the performance pre-injury may be impacting, you know, when he's going to take the field more so than this uh, hip and glute injury. Today's injury report brought to you by Cape Regional Health Systems. Dr. Kevin McHale with Penn Orthopedics and Cape Regional Health Systems, the best of both worlds for a healthier life. For an appointment, call 609-463-CAPE or visit them online at caperegional.com slash orthopedics. Doc, always appreciate the insights and the time. Great stuff today. All right, thanks a lot. Uh, we got you guys. Got uh, the Eagles got a big challenge this week, so we'll see what happens. Hope for the best, right? Yeah, we'll see him against the Packers. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, Dr. Kevin McHale joins us each and every Thursday at five thirty for the injury report here on ninety-seven three ESPN. So I think one of the biggest takeaways, bros, I took away from what Dr. Kevin McHale just said there was is. Some of these guys are way too tough for their own good, and maybe, maybe Lane Johnson and Jason Peters, their injury issues is because they're not uh, they're not treating themselves properly. Well, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, if you look over the last handful of seasons when they were a little bit younger, I bet pushing through that injury was the difference in them staying out there on the field, which helped them win football games. But it just comes down to when you do that so often, year after year, which a lot of these football players do. It will catch up to you when you are in your 30s. And for Jason Peters to be deep into his 30s, you know, like I do think there's a blessing to it at the same time because I'm sure there's plenty of moments that we don't even recognize where they were pushing through so much stuff. They were out there. They were competing at a high level and helping you win that we're not thinking about at the same time. Absolutely. And I, I just got to wonder, I had, I had to ask the doc about that because, you know, listen, I, I'm no football player, okay? I only played football up to basically high school, okay? I never played college in the NFL. But listen, even now in my life, I have this tendency when I was younger and now where I'm like, I'm fine, I'll top through it, I'll push through. And then things get worse, and then I got to go to the doctor and be like, like walking with my tail between my legs and be like, well, doc, I, I didn't listen, I screwed up, and now we got a new problem on our hands. So I can totally understand where Lane's coming from because – he feels this obligation to be out there playing for his teammates, and then he pushed himself a little too far, and as a result, now his ankle is done for the year. Absolutely. I think it just it's second nature for athletes. When I was playing college hockey, I, I took a slap shot in practice to my thumb, and I'm like, oh, I'll be all right. Don't worry about it. I was in so much pain trying to grab my stick. And it turns out I needed surgery. My thumb wasn't even connected to my hand. I guess it was just a lot of the adrenaline going through me. And it's like, oh, no, I can play. I can play because I didn't want to lose my spot in the lineup. Well, guess what? I, you know, I needed surgery. I couldn't even – my hand wasn't even attached anymore at that point. But I do feel like as athletes, that's 
kind of what you're accustomed to doing. Oh, I'm going to play. I don't care what type of pain I have until you realize you need to take a step back and maybe it's for the best. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We'll wrap up the show coming up on the other side, a Thursday edition of Mike Gill back in tomorrow here on 97.3 ESPN and the free 97.3 ESPN mobile app. Thanks to First Bank of Seattle City. All right, final segment of the show. Thanks again. Ryan Grant was great. Former Packers running back. Football at four with Adam Kaplan. Also, Jeff Pesquino, footballguys.com, face football advice, as well as Dr. Kevin McHale. All those interviews will be up on the 97.3 ESPN YouTube channel. As we always do, five questions. Not really questions. It's more like Broads and I just talking about stuff. So let's hit on some topics before we get out of here. Yeah, the best way to describe it is a mini headlines, if you will. So we'll start here. The whole John Wall, Russell Westbrook trade. What are your thoughts? I love it when a trade gets rumored for weeks and then finally happens. It's like I was given the anticipation for it and it finally came through. I think it's a great deal for both teams. I think Westbrook fits next to Beal better and I think Wall fits next to Harden better. I think something needed to change in Washington. I, if I'm Houston, though, I just wonder, what am I getting? What is John Wall at this point? A lot of injury problems, hasn't been able to be consistently available. What are you actually getting in Wall? You're getting Harden being happy. That's what you're getting. Because apparently Harden wanted to play with John Wall for whatever that's worth. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you definitely have to find a way to get James Harden in a better, better mental state than he was previous before this trade. So... Hopefully that's what the Houston Rockets got out of it, if that's what they wanted. All right, how about this? College football, right up your alley. Liberty had to back out. You have BYU, Coastal Carolina as a big-time matchup. Top 20 matchup. This is a huge game. If BYU wins this game, this will be their one top 25 win on their resume, which could catapult them up those rankings. Because those college football rankings, they are conspiratory against BYU. I agree. I think they are getting very disrespected, more disrespected than they need to be. I mean, is this going to be enough, though? Because it's not like they're beating. I'm not trying to disrespect Coastal Carolina. They are ranked. But I do think that it's viewed differently compared to if they beat, let's say, a ranked Texas A&M. Right. Yeah, it's definitely different. But I think it's going to be a huge game either way. It's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be fun. What's not fun Watching Gonzaga's star last night get a little banged up. Suggs, who is a stud, freshman stud. That Gonzaga program is really growing into something special. But he did reach for that Achilles area. It looked ugly. Came back in the second half, though. I saw Mark Few say after the game that he thought he was done for the game. And then when he came back in, he kept asking him, are you sure your ankle's okay? And that might have been some adrenaline going on there for sure. Definitely. It looked really ugly, non-contact. His foot sort of slipped, his left foot sort of slipped, and you could see where he reached right for his ankle instantly. Everyone thought of the worst-case scenario, of course, but luckily it seems he's going to be okay, and that Gonzaga team is so special, so much fun to watch. We'll move on to the NFL, though. 
Adam Gase admits that he hasn't helped Sam Darnold develop as an NFL quarterback. I mean, he's not lying, but wow. All right, just come out and be just blunt. Just fire him. Get it over with. I mean, this guy, he's only a head coach because he rode Peyton Manning's coattails. If you're Joe Douglas and if Doug Peterson becomes available, is there a marriage? Yes. Give huh. me a, I'm, I'm, it's that simple to me. I'm, I don't think there's a lot of thought there. It'll be interesting, though. I, I don't think the Eagles are going to do it, but if they do get rid of Doug how many teams are going to pounce. There's going to be a handful of teams ready. I'm just curious which teams are ready to pounce like that. And uh, we'll end it with this. Warner Brothers. There's some news surrounding them. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I saw this, and I'm glad you brought it up. So uh, for those who don't know, Warner Brothers announced today they're going to have all of their movie releases be available direct to HBO Max, their subscription service. They're trying to bypass the movie theater industry dependence and I would just want to encourage everybody to please go support your local movie theaters. You know, there's a lot of people who are out of work right now because their businesses have totally crashed and burned. And your local movie theaters are owned by people in your own local community here, especially in places like South Jersey. And when those movies come out in theater, don't sign up for HBO Max. Go to your local theater, spend a little extra money, support your local community because those people need jobs. And if these theaters are not supported by these movie theater goers, there's a lot of more people going to be out of work. So that's just my little thoughts on that. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Ennick. This is a Sports Special 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill's back tomorrow. South Jersey's favorite sports show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill, now has a podcast. You can listen to full episodes.